Chapter One of Carpenter's Geographical Reader Asia by Frank Carpenter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Betty B. Chapter One Introduction. This book is to be the story of our travels through the grand division of Asia. Each one who reads it is to be a member of the party, and we shall go together across the oceans and over the mountains, valleys, and plains noting for ourselves the many strange things and peoples we see. Our journey will be a long one. We shall travel in a westerly direction and clear around the world before we get back to our homes. The first men to make the trip round the globe started out about 400 years ago. They embarked from Seville, Spain, in five little sailing vessels under the command of Ferdinand Magellan, a Portuguese who had entered the service of King Charles V of Spain. The first stage of their journey was across the Atlantic Ocean to Rio de Janeiro, where they discovered its beautiful bay. They then coasted along the eastern shores of South America to the Strait of Magellan, which was named after their leader. Passing through that strait, they came into the Pacific Ocean, and crossing it landed in the Philippine Islands. That was almost two years after starting, and the fleet had suffered many disasters. One of the ships was lost before reaching the Strait of Magellan, and, shortly after that, another deserted, and returning to Spain, reported that the rest of the fleet had been destroyed. A third vessel was burned while in the Philippine waters, and Magellan lost his life there while fighting with the natives of one of the islands. The remaining two ships were taken by the survivors to the Moluccas in the Dutch East Indies, where one of them, the Victoria, was refitted and loaded with spices it was brought back to spain by way of the cape of good hope and the west coast of africa and in september fifteen twenty two came to anchor in the harbor of seville having completed the first voyage ever made around the world that voyage took a little more than three years and it was full of dangers hardships and disasters the trip around the globe can now be made in less than three months and if one does not go into the interior of the countries the travel is as safe and as comfortable as any we have at home. This tour of ours, however, is not a mere sea trip around the world. It will require many long journeys, and some of them will be difficult ones, embracing all sorts of experiences. We shall go on water and land, by canoe and by steamer, on foot and on horseback, by train and by carriage, and in some of the wilder regions shall need elephants, camels, and perhaps yaks to carry our baggage. We shall make many long jumps, and at times, like Hop on My Thumb, the little fellow who wore the seven-league boots, may take miles at one step. We shall get to Asia as quick as we can, and after leaving there come home without stopping. The exploration of a continent is a vast undertaking, and Asia is the largest of all the world's grand divisions. It contains almost one-third of all the dry land upon earth. It is larger than North and South America, and both Europe and Africa could be spread out upon it and leave enough room around the edges for half the states of the Union. Asia is a land of mountains and plains. It has the loftiest plateaus and the highest peaks known to man. Mount Everest in the Himalayas is over 29,000 feet high, its top being often hid in the clouds at a point almost six miles above the Indian Ocean which lies just below it. The continent has many mighty rivers, such as the Ganges, the Amur, and the Yangtze, 
Some of its regions are among the best watered parts of the globe, and many of our journeys will be upon boats. It has also vast deserts, and upon the high dry wastes of Mongolia, Tibet, Persia, and Arabia, we may travel on camelback for thousands of miles and be in sand and rock all the way. This wonderful country has all sorts of climates. Its northernmost parts are hidden by ice, while the lands farthest south lie not far from the equator. Northeastern Asia extends out into Bering Sea, almost touching Alaska. On the Siberian tundras, we shall need furs and sleeping bags to keep out the cold, and in the south shall almost roast in the thinnest of cottons. In the north, we may use dogs and reindeer to drag us over the snows, while in Siam and Burma, elephants will carry us on our way through the jungles. A country of so many climates and soils should raise all kinds of crops. In northern Asia and on the highlands of India, wheat and other hardy grains are produced in abundance, while lower down are to be found cotton plantations. Asia is a land of tea and silk. It has some of the richest of rice fields, and it yields fruit of every description from the pears, apples, and peaches of the north to the bananas, pineapples, and mangosteens of those regions which lie in the tropics. Most interesting of all, however, are the people. Asia has always been one of the most important parts of the world as regards its population. History tells us that it is the oldest of all inhabited countries, and it is believed by many to have been man's first home. Our own ancestors of the long ago are said to have come from India, whence they made their way north into Europe. They populated that continent, and later some of their descendants crossed the Atlantic to found the New World. Asia also contains the lands of the Bible. It was the birthplace of Jesus, and the home of Adam and Noah, and of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The whole earth is said to have about 1,600 million people and of these more than nine hundred millions are asiatics they number therefore more than one-half of the whole human race and considering the world as one vast family are largely in the majority let us stop for a moment and see what that means if all the men women and children on this big round globe could be gathered together into one field more room would be needed for the people of asia than for all of the others they would take up more than half of the field, and as we looked at them, they might seem very strange. One-third of the whole crowd would be of the Mongolian race, having yellow skins and eyes which are slanting and of the shape of an almond. The majority of the Mongolians would be Chinese, the boys and men having their heads shaved up to the crown and long braids of black hair hanging down from their scalp locks. There would be millions of gaily-dressed Chinese women hobbling along on feet so tied up that they could not move about without pain, and a vast number of Chinese children dressed in gowns. There would also be millions of brave little Japanese men as straight as an arrow, and Japanese girls with yellow babies tied to their backs. There would be hundreds of millions of dark-faced people from India with features like ours, and here and there, moving in and out through the crowd, yellow-skinned Koreans in gorgeous gowns which fall from their necks to their feet. There would be many men wearing turbans and gowns, and some dressed only in sheets. There would be silk-clad maidens from Burma with plugs in their ears as big around as your thumb, and dark-faced Hindu women wearing white cotton. 
and with rings on their fingers and bells on their toes there would be sober-faced persians of a sallow complexion arabian bedouins as black as a negro and fur-clad siberians with copper-hued faces there would also be syrians armenians and turks each in his own costume but having many things in common with the rest of the crowd if we should continue to watch these people from asia we might observe that they do but few things as we do most of them sit on their heels instead of on chairs and millions of them use wooden pillows and sleep on the floor the majority of the men dress in gowns of one kind or other and many of the women go about with veiled faces we should find that their religions and ideas are different from ours millions of these people worship the prophet muhammad others take the laws of life as laid down by confucius while many follow the teachings of buddha a prophet who lived more than five hundred years before christ moreover if we could follow them to their homes we should discover that each race and country has more or less civilization and that in some respects many are quite as advanced as ourselves they have mighty cities containing hundreds of thousands engaged in all sorts of trade some nations have millions of farms as well kept as we keep our gardens and also stores and factories and temples and schools without number in many places the people can show us ancient structures which are still among the world's wonders of these are the walled cities of china the feudal castles of japan the golden pagoda in burma and the beautiful taj mahal at agra north india we shall also find many modern buildings in course of construction and shall learn that those eastern countries are changing and their people are adopting many of the inventions and ways which until within a few years were common only to us and to the others of our race in the lands of the west but we shall see all this much better as we proceed with our travels end of chapter one